Thank you for joining us for another episode of Baker Hosts Ad Nauseum, a podcast series focusing on new and trending advertising issues with an emphasis on the FTC and NAD. I'm Amy Kotman, and you're listening to Baker Hosts. We're once again joined by Amy Mudge and Daniel Kaufman, two partners from Baker Hostetler's advertising, marketing, and digital media team. Together, they have decades of advertising experience and approach advertising issues from multiple perspectives. On today's episode of Ad Nauseum, Amy and Daniel cover dark patterns, an issue that is increasingly on the radar for regulators. They'll discuss what exactly are dark patterns, a recent FTC case against Bonnage raising dark pattern allegations, and how the NAD has approached the dark patterns issue. With that, welcome to Ad Nauseum, and let's turn it over to Amy and Daniel. Welcome, welcome, everyone, to the latest in our adventures of Ad Nauseum, <laughs> our podcast, The Amy and Daniel Show. And today, even though it's not Halloween, we're going to talk about something that sounds very evil, nefarious, and scary. We are going to talk about da, 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 dark, dark patterns. patterns. Oh, that was good, Daniel. I like Thank that. Thank you, Amy. I, I had to sort of show I was here. Hope you were doing well today as well. <laughs> All right. So what the heck is a dark pattern? This is this word that has cropped up in the last couple of years, and it just seems to be everywhere. The basic definition is a deceptive design pattern, some way of creating something on the web that involves tricks used on websites and apps that make you do things you don't want to do. So really what it is, is kind of a collection of all sorts of stuff that's bad on the internet with a new umbrella term, dark patterns. At least that is my working definition of it so far. And so the other definition I have heard is one that essentially says it's anything on the internet that encourages consumers to make choices they wouldn't otherwise make. Now to me, that sounds not like something evil, sneaky, and nefarious. That sounds like good marketing. So the challenge is to figure out what is a dark pattern that might violate Section 5, might be deceptive or unfair, versus what is a practice people might not like on the internet, but doesn't necessarily arise to a consumer protection issue. And of course, the FTC has some thoughts on this. Daniel, tell us about the FTC's workshop and report. Yeah, thanks, Amy. You hit the nail on the head. The question is, what is a dark pattern? But then what is a dark pattern that violates the law? So back in 2021, the FTC did a workshop exploring this issue. Not a workshop. Can't say that word. It was a workshop then. Oh. Current leadership was not running it. So I believe we called it a workshop then. I was at the FTC then. Did a workshop in 2021 exploring the issues. Like what are the dark patterns that are affecting consumers' online habits? And to be clear, it's not just purchasing decisions. It's also decisions consumers make to share information, potential privacy issues as well. And just a couple months ago, the FTC released a report on dark patterns following up on the workshop. And, you know, in this report, they go through a lot of what they view to be dark patterns. They do not give us great clarity on what is a dark pattern that violates the law, except they do indicate that if there are multiple dark patterns, that's particularly problematic. But when you look at the report, so much of what they're describing as a dark pattern 
is sort of tried and true deceptive practices, unauthorized billing, things like that, poor disclosures. It's I always forget whether it's new wine in an old bottle or old wine in a new bottle, but whichever it is, like that seems to be a lot of what they're doing. But there is also a discussion of more subtle dark patterns. If you know consumers are given the choice of yes and no, and if the yes is more prominent, that can be a dark pattern. That said, we have not seen law enforcement cases yet that have said that that is a dark pattern and it violates the law. That may happen down the road. But look, the FTC report, it's important to look at, but so much of what's in there are sort of tried and true deceptive practices that have already been deemed unlawful by the FTC through cases time and time and again. So where the lines are, very unclear right now. Having a yes, buy here button a little bit darker than a no button, I soundly reject as a violation of the law. And I really, really hope we never get there as far as enforcement discretion and enforcement priorities. The concept of parity is there. I mean, that's the thing. Parity seems to be a really important point. And if it's more prominent, it's not parity. So, but I'm with you. Like, do I think those are Section 5 violations? Generally, no. Context matters a lot. And consumers still have to be confused. I mean, this is in a store. You put the merchandise you want people to buy up front. You put the clearance stuff in the back. Is that parody? Anyway, we could talk about this all day. But we do have some actual cases that the FTC has brought, including a recent one involving Vonage, where there was a pretty attention-grabbing settlement of $100 million. Daniel, talk to us about what this case is about. Yeah, no. So this is a case, bold headlines, dark patterns case is how the FTC classifies it. And Vonage is an internet phone service provider. And much of the case focuses on things that Vonage did to make it difficult, allegedly, for subscribers to cancel. These were services that people had on a month-to-month basis. And the FTC talks about hurdles called dark patterns that were used to prevent consumers from stopping recurring charges. And what's interesting about this case is it really has nothing to do with the online interface. Here, people were able to sign up online on the website, but in order to cancel, you had to call customer service. That's a whole separate issue on cancellation that we might talk about. But the only way to cancel was to make a phone call. So this wasn't a deceptive interface. This was just a non-interface. So, And once consumers call, there are lots of issues. And again, this was consumers and small businesses as well, but lots of issues on long wait times, sales pitches, lack of callbacks, and aggressive sales pitches. When consumers would try to cancel, they were confronted with lots and lots of sales pitches trying to get them to change their minds. And in fact, the company was rewarding agents for the ability to sort of take consumers who wanted to cancel and keep them on board. So that difficulty in cancellation is deemed a dark pattern. And again, this goes a little bit to the issue we're talking about, that the FTC is taking sort of pride and true practices and calling them dark patterns. And I think that's what I'm seeing when I look at at the bondage case, which it has some unfairness allegations and it also has a Roska allegation on the cancellation issue. Now, that is actually really interesting. That almost sounds like in a dark patterns concept that the FTC is importing some idea of material omission. So if you don't have a clear method of cancellation online, which is, of course, what Roska requires, the absence of that is a material omission or so thus it's a dark pattern it just seems to be the handy term you can use about anything that makes it difficult for consumers to do what they want to do 
I'm a consumer. I want to cancel. I don't like talking to people. And as you know, Amy, that is true about me. <laughs> so I want to go to the website and I want to cancel there. And I was not able to do that. So other than mentioning the failure to have an online means of cancellation as a dark pattern, is there any other guidance that the FTC gave us in this case on what to look for, or how to avoid a dark pattern? Well, I mean, certainly in this case, it's a little bit tied to the issue of did they tell consumers about how to cancel? And that that's a separate problem. So information was provided to consumers about the fact that you had to call in order to cancel. However, that information was very difficult to find. It was buried deep in disclosures, was not at all clear and conspicuous. So that does relate to the issue as well, that the information was there, hard to find. And that is more traditionally a dark pattern. So I think the FTC got like a new PR person who's come in to sex things up with words like dark <laughs> patterns and the new term junk fees. That sounds really bad, really horrible, something that's also just unfettered evil. What's up with that? What you call things is really relevant. You hit the nail on the head. Here, the junk fees and the FTC uses that term in the press release, so I felt comfortable using that term here, I would not use it otherwise, were um, cancellation fees. There were early termination fees for people who canceled, and according to the complaint, that was a real deterrent to cancellation by a lot of consumers. And much like the other information, information about the early termination fees was not presented to consumers. It was hard to find. It was also really high cancellation fees. I think for some people, it literally required paying out for the rest of the contract for one year. So the FTC classifies this as a junk fee. They do separately have a rulemaking ongoing right now about junk fees. And, you know, I've got some concerns about the breadth of that. And do we want the FTC deciding what isn't is not a junk fee? Early termination fees have a place. The problem here is they weren't disclosed adequately. And consumers seem to be very surprised when they found out trying to cancel that there were significant early termination fees. Well, I mean, that to me is the key. We've said for a million years, you can charge what you want. This is America, for goodness sake, as long as you tell people what they're going to pay. And I mean, certainly this kind of ebbs into the drip pricing concept that you can't give consumers a price up front, or maybe you shouldn't give consumers a price up front, and then later, right before they pay, dangle some other fees or maybe not even tell them and charge them. But I don't know, a junk fee sounds like just something that people are charged. You know, we could do a separate podcast at some point about all of the rulemaking going on at the FTC, but this junk fee one is one that I'm particularly concerned about because I, I agree, like it, the tradition has been if you disclose a fee and consumers know what they're paying, it's acceptable. But once you start categorizing them as junk, as unwanted, as as providing no benefit to consumers, that is much more questionable. So I'm very interested to see how that rulemaking ends up. But th that you know, early termination fee really did feed into the challenge that consumers had in canceling. Because even if they figured out how to cancel and they talk to the customer rep and eventually get through, they then would face a significant charge in order to cancel. So it does all feed into the, the underlying practices. I think this is more words of shaming marketers. Don't go into those dark pattern places. Don't charge people those junk fees. But yes, we will put a pin and come back and talk about rulemaking. But Daniel, I can't leave without asking you, how'd they get $100 million here when it doesn't sound like this was a violation of a consent order case? Doesn't sound like there was, well, I guess maybe Rosca might have been an issue, but. Bingo. Okay. Bingo. We got Rosca. So look, every case that comes out at the FTC, I'm always looking at it. How are they getting money here? And this one's pretty straightforward. It's Rosca. The FTC can get 
civil penalties and redress as well. So ROSCA is not just a civil penalty statute. It can also get redress. So that is a tool that enabled the FTC to get money and a significant amount of it. Was the $100 million in this case redress for consumers that was given back plus some penalties? Or was it really focused on the redress? This appears to be solely redress. I don't think the order had any penalty component whatsoever. So And, and look, the preference at the FTC when they can get money back to consumers is to do that. And this is a case where you can see redress being viable based upon the conduct here. If they paid the quote unquote junk fees, then they could get their money back. Or if they weren't able to cancel, then the amount that they paid beyond the time. That makes great good sense. And there also are some allegations about continued unauthorized billing for some consumers as well. So there's enough conduct here that warrants some form of redress, according to the FTC. But enough about the FTC for now. I am curious, Amy, they are not the only sheriff in town. What is our other sheriff doing about dark patterns, the NAD? Have they been tackling this issue? And what are we hearing from them? Well, they've kind of tiptoed out. We began to see the first reference to dark patterns in uh, April of 2022. NAD has brought three cases in which they've mentioned the word dark patterns. And then KRU, the Children's Advertising Review Unit, has also brought three. Now, one case, Blue Apron, sounds like it's pretty similar to Vonage. That case looked at whether there was an easy means to cancel a subscription. And in the case of Blue Apron, when the case started, there wasn't a one-click online method to do that. You had to email their customer service to get instructions. The NAD certainly has waded into this area. By my count, there were three cases in 2022 when the NAD mentioned dark patterns. And KRU, the Children's Advertising Review Unit, similarly has had three cases in 2022 where they referenced dark patterns as well. The KRU cases are pretty uniform. They are all cases involving mobile apps, gaming on mobile apps. And essentially, KRU has said, look, when you've got kids on mobile apps, if you do things that encourages them to engage in advertising, watch an ad, click on an ad, or if you use manipulative tactics and appeal to their emotion to get them to buy things in apps, they've called all of these things dark patterns as well. It's kind of all the parade of horribles involved in children's advertising online that's now getting this umbrella term of being a dark pattern. I mean, I get dark patterns much more in the context of kids who are certainly more susceptible, who can be led down the path probably far easier than adults. But it sounds like it's not just KRU looking at it. It's also NAD writ large. You're remembering when you were a kid and you were scared of the dark. I had four older siblings. It was terrified the dark. <laughs> <laughs> there are stories I'll tell you someday, Amy, but not now. <laughs> Back to NAD. So by my count, they've done three cases. One involved Blue Apron. You get a subscription for food. You can cancel it if you want. But at the start of the case, you had to email customer service to get directions on how to cancel. But then Blue Apron added a one-click means to cancel on its subscription page. And the NAD said, this is fine. There was a reference to the FTC's Dark Patterns report that did include in its kind of list of things that make you go, hmm, that a deceptive inability to cancel can be a dark pattern. The other two cases, one was involving uh, goalie vitamins, 
And the challenger said that goalie was using dark patterns to encourage people to buy vitamins, to act now, act fast. The sale's going to be over and there's a limited supply of our fabulous vitamins. And based on the evidence, NAD said that how they were presenting the sale was appropriate, but still noting that this idea of an act to urgency or any use of deceptive sale pricing messaging could also be a dark pattern. And then more recently, there was a case involving Smile Prep, which is a third-party review website that purportedly didn't make it clear when the website had a material connection to the maker of the products that it was reviewing. And once again, the NAD pointed to the FTC's Dark Patterns report and noted that the FTC had flagged any kind of deceptive review sites as falling under that Dark Pattern umbrella. So what I'd say is I don't think we've gotten a lot of guidance as far as the NAD on what is and is not a dark pattern, but we've certainly have gotten them to flag behaviors that they believe falls under the dark pattern definition. Yeah, look, from my perspective, the FTC report is important to look at to see the range of things that they're flagging as dark patterns. From my perspective, if you're in marketing, it is a must read just to make sure you understand what is being viewed as a dark pattern. It doesn't necessarily mean all these things alone are a violation of the FTC Act. Absolutely not from my perspective. But it's important to know that, look, if you're having claims of scarcity, if, if you've got the clock timer that's showing you the offer is only available for 10 minutes, all those things are being viewed as dark patterns. Whether we're going to see a case that finds one of those things in isolation to be an actual violation of the law, that remains to be seen. To me, it's an exciting and interesting advertising issue that we'll definitely be seeing a lot more of this year and for the coming years. So to wrap up, what advice would we give to companies who are trying to avoid being accused of engaging in dark patterns? And my very thoughtful, informed answer is, I have no bloody idea. But here's what I would tell companies so far. This word sounds so bad, and I do think it's appearing now in the advertising trades. And I do think it's something that marketing people are hearing about. So it's a way, if your clients are doing something you don't like, to look at them with a disapproving gaze and say, are you engaging in a dark pattern? You know, use that as a term to engage in a conversation with your marketers. I will say I do not have the stomach to tell people that they can never use a pre-check box. I don't have the stomach to tell people they can't put, yes, give me that above the no, I don't want that. I don't think we're going to get there and I don't think the sky is falling. So I would focus more on doing the good things you already know you should do, avoiding the bad things you should you, you know you should avoid, and you'll probably stay clear of what enforcement will define as a dark pattern. Yeah, no, those are great points, Amy. And I would just add to it, it's just a good reminder to look at your buy flow from the point of a reasonable consumer. Are you being led down a particular path? And try to look at it with a, a sort of nuanced eye and, and also look at your disclosures. I mean, a lot of this does focus on what information is being provided to consumers and how. So always a good reminder to take a close look at your disclosures, making sure they're readable, comprehensible, and not written as if a lawyer wrote them. I always think that's a uh, helpful advice. Well, with that, I think we have at least kicked the tires on dark patterns. I'm sure this will not be the last podcast where we discuss dark patterns ad nauseum, but thank you so much for joining us for the first. See you next time, everybody. Thanks. Thank you, Amy and Daniel. If you have any questions for them, their contact information is in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening to Baker Hosts. 
Comments heard on Baker Hosts are for informational purposes and should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. Listeners should not act upon the information provided on Baker Hosts without first consulting with the lawyer directly. The opinions expressed on Baker Hosts are those of participants appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information about our practices and experience, please visit bakerlaw.com.